Welcome back. It's the 82nd episode of the OpFatCast. I am Steve Cuff. And joining me today, Adam Myros. Hey, Steve. Hey, Myros. How you enjoying yourself today? Uh, not a happy day. Uh, a lot of stuff we watched for the podcast. Yeah, we not watched a lot of, of stuff. Uh, puts a smile on my face. I don't think any of us have central air, so, I mean, my balls are firmly stuck to my leg right now, and I'm sweating from places I didn't know I could sweat from, so feeling really good. Sean, how about you? How you doing? Uh, full of life. Full of life. You do. You have that zest for life, man, just like that, uh, that Ricky Martin song from the World Cup from 1998. Mm-hmm. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. Cool, cool. Well, you know, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm riding pretty fucking high right now because for the second time in a month, I've inexplicably done really well in a pinball tournament. So basically on that 10 second scene from Rocket Man where he plays Pinball Wizard and then everybody in the theater goes, oh, I didn't know that he wrote that one. <laughs> it's, pretty, yeah. it's a pretty great feeling. Uh, a, universal, a universal experience, that accent. Mm-hmm. I'd say so. Uh, I was going to say uh, not a universal experience too. I've seen Rocket Man. But yeah. <laughs> my, fa- my, my favorite Rocket Man scene is the one in uh, The Rock where he asks him if he where he asks him what his favorite Elton John song is and then uh, says oh it's not Rocket Man or something like that and then sets off a rocket in his stomach <laughs> That is a good scene. Do you guys remember this scene? I do. I I recall that fondly. Uh, My favorite scene from Rocket Man is, because it's a pretty hacky piece of shit, is when Elton John steps on stage and he starts playing Rocket Man and then he literally turns into the titular Rocket Man, like he turns into a fucking rocket, and then he blasts off into space. It's really good stuff. I thought when you said he turns into the titular Rocket Man, I thought you were gonna say he turned into the the jet packed superhero. If if I, only I keep confusing it with that farting astronaut movie that Sean's so fond of. Rocket Man. <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, Harlan, Williams. Harlan Williams. Yeah. Starring. You think he's, you think he's suing over that one? Because it yeah. seems like he was kind of there first. Starring Bo Bridges. Did Bo Bridges die? Sure. I don't think so. <laughs> I would, I would honestly, I would probably rather watch Harlan Williams' Rocket Man as opposed to uh, whatever shitty guy that f- tried to save Bohemian Rhapsody director, whatever his name is. Mm-hmm. He's got a real career going for him. Shout out to him. Like, What's your job? I make really bland biopics that do nothing and shouldn't exist. Also, I, I save movies directed by creepo molester dudes. So also really great. Awesome. Fucking he's, awesome! He's the Christopher Plummer of directors. Truly, so is. this is the, the the Rocket Man is directed by the Ghost director yeah. of Bohemian yes. Rhapsody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which ah. is why it's basically the same thing, but if you added some like community theater level like Baz Luhrmann hijinks, that's that's pretty much where you're at with that. Hmm. So it's like it's Boy. mostly just every single story or you know that's ever been told, like the the fucking Walk Hard arc. 
Mm-hmm. But then it's just like, ooh, here's a funny, surreal moment where he sings directly into the camera, and bet you didn't see that coming. And but then did they bring along the uh, Oscar-winning editor of <laughs> Rhapsody? I, I'm afraid they didn't, which is a shame. But I will tell you that they're they're real on the nose here with the with the metaphors. Like whenever he's dealing with his childhood, like there's an actual child that represents his childhood that he like chases around. He's like, I'll get you childhood. You keep sticking around and ruining me. It's it's very it's very highbrow stuff. Oscar worthy for sure. Uh, Anyways, I'm sorry we I didn't, missed it. Yeah, yeah yes, you, it's, it's really... <laughs> make sure you, you run to your local dollar theater and check that one out. Uh, but we actually, we went to the movies this week, so we're going to we're gonna have to play the song. Myros, hit it! Oh. So good every time. And you know, normally normally I ask that the song is played multiple times. This time I am gonna leave the people wanting more, so you're not gonna get it a second time. Sorry. This isn't a fan service podcast. (laughs) I was afraid you were gonna make me uh uh drop it in every time we switch to a new film, which could be uh, pretty extensive in this particular episode. (laughs) Well, don't don't give me that idea. (laughs) (laughs) Wait until we get to our nine hour Oscar pod and uh yeah. Every time we start a new movie, it'll start with Jack Eason and the the music drop. That's the plan. <laughs> uh, well, shit, man. Uh, can this we, was can this we is talk an exhausting about, day or a week, I should say. <laughs> can we uh, can we save sort of the big the big uh, the franchise talk for uh, uh, the back end? And, yeah, no, no, that that was the plan. I think we're gonna dive right into the thing that uh, left a sour taste in all of our mouths because uh, we went to see the latest from elevated horror auteur Ari Aster, and boy, howdy, we we saw we saw Midsummer. <sighs> yep, Sean, what's what's Midsummer about? Uh, it's about uh, a young woman. Riddled with family trauma and a shitty boyfriend to boot, uh, going on a trip with him and his uh, boy toys from grad school to um, uh, Scandinavia for a ritual at a commune uh, over like a month and a half, uh, which is quite. Uh, dedication for yeah. a trip. Ooh, extensive. Yeah, but um, uh, it, it basically her her boyfriend and, and his friends are anthropology students, um, uh, really bad students, and um, they are like kind of there on uh, for for study reasons for their thesis, but also just kind of like for 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 summer break. And yeah. she kind of, you know what? As as a former terrible grad student, I gotta say these guys are uniquely terrible at being grad students. Yeah, uh, but um, they uh, they just are checking out this commune and just constantly swept up in the next round of action that they throw at them. And yeah, it all takes place in the. Uh, Swedish midnight sun so it's like always extremely bright out and uh, yeah it's just all kinds of 
ritual based uh, horror stuff that happens to them. Yeah. Well, not really a lot of horror. Mostly just just rituals and panning yeah. shots of the Swedish countryside and yeah, nothing happening. Nothing happened at all. Uh, Myros, your favorite movie of the year so far? It's somehow the worst movie I've seen in the last couple of weeks. <laughs> Which is insane, considering the yeah. pigs we've been watching. Yeah. Uh, I, I would criticize Sean for for uh, just giving a plot synopsis when asked what this movie's about, but that's that's as good as you can do. That's, it's not really about anything at all. No. It's It's about trying to deal with, like, grief and and a bad relationship and bad relationships and yeah but yeah that's it that's the all. grief stuff is uh, not fleshed out at all I, no. I'd say. <laughs> no no well and i was thinking too because the way this movie starts they don't actually get over to sweden until about a full hour into this movie it's it's kind of wild and all i could think was it's like okay in the beginning it's just like where is this fucking going what is this doing and then as the movie kind of trudges along and they get to Sweden and things start happening and like they was just like, you know, they probably could have not taken this one to Sweden and it would have been fine. It, it felt like Ari Aster, he wrote this movie about a woman who, you know, experiences these deaths in her family and she has a shitty boyfriend with shitty friends. And then he got to that part and then he just bolted the, the, the rituals and the Sweden and the, and the cult nonsense kind of onto the back end. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's pretty rough. It's real fucking rough. And when we say that nothing happens, I can assure you that absolutely nothing happens in this movie for about 90 minutes. And the stuff that does end up happening, like, I mean, you know, you know that that stuff is going to happen. So it's kind of a letdown that like, that's it. Uh, I, I like, I think uh, some, the film's detractors, which I think there's a lot of them, but there's also a lot of supporters uh, have sort of like gotten um, a lot of, a lot of his detractors say like, you know, agree with us that there's nothing going on in this movie that it's that there there's nothing that happens which is not inherently a problem with cinema like you know any piece of cinema mm-hmm. and sure. like you know like Richard Brody's piece which I didn't read so I'm not I can't stand by it or whatever defend it but uh, that's basically what he said in his tease for it and people were sort of complaining like oh that's not all cinema is uh, yeah we all know that and we've seen many things without uh, plot that we like um, but the thing is is that it doesn't offer anything in between like it doesn't it doesn't offer any feelings that it doesn't articulate any sort of emotional thing at least for me um, in between that keeps you sort of like engaged on an emotional level um, sure sure we're not we're not asking for you know a, a linear concrete yeah. narrative here but Something. at the same time Ari Aster he's not He's not Antonioni. He's not. Uh, yeah. He's not David Lynch. There's no. There's no characters. There's no story to grasp onto here. There's no mood, really. He's not playing. There's, there's with nothing. The, it's just shit happening. He, and, yeah. and there's this most dedication. Most importantly, perhaps. Go ahead. I mean, most importantly, perhaps there's, there's no theme. Like right, what? Right, right. What is this movie about? 
I, I got nothing out of this. Yeah. I, and trust me, there's enough time to sit and stew while you're watching it to go, oh, <laughs> what's he trying to go for? That's and the thing. I literally got nothing out of it. So yeah. the thing is, okay, so uh, yes, it's about a relate. It's about a relationship. Does it does it tease out the the dynamics of that relationship? Well, no, absolutely not. Like the the tension between the main couple is so poorly rendered. It, it's just so ham fisted and just like in a, you know a few lines, you can see everything. Like there's no real. Yeah, you know, articulation there. Uh, but you bring up Antonioni, which is a good, obviously, you know, a giant. We don't expect that of, of a contemporary filmmaker, but like, but at least like drawing off of what he does well is like playing with um, landscapes that draw out moods, right? Like the landscape here and the setting is all just window dressing. It's all just to do something that, that looks pleasing to Ari Aster and that will make people think that this is well crafted yeah and and that's that's the the thing that really drives me nuts with this movie and I, I think you see a lot of this in the people who are like over the moon about this movie and also in in some of the follow-up pieces I've read where god there's there's a piece in uh, on IndieWire I think it was uh an Eric Cohn joint uh, shout out to <laughs> David Ehrlich Jr. And then I, I don't know who wrote the piece in The Ringer, but there's a piece in The Ringer. And I, I think the one, uh, I think it was Eric Cohn's review. And then the piece in The Ringer was just about like everything that, that he went through to make this movie. And it's like, oh, he spent three straight summers going to, to midsummer festivals. And, and then he went to a Swedish barn in the middle of nowhere and that's where he got the ideas and each of the sets was hand painted and this and that and the other thing and all this meticulous detail but that's that is this movie in a nutshell because who fucking cares all of this rigid formalism and attention to detail with the sets and and this you know gorgeous set design with these beautiful costumes and this all this stuff and oh you know each person in the movie uh, if you look at their tunics they each have a different runic symbol which is actually based on real runic who gives a fuck what is it all in service of it's in service of nothing it is in service of a fucking lube for Ari Aster to just crank his little mini hog over how beautiful he thinks his co his compositions are. Yeah, he's. Uh, it, 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 I was talking to Myros after about it, and just talking about how like all of his impulses to me, I like seem to be wrongheaded and to be in service, like you said, of just sort of like his own ego, like to be like. I have control. Like, look how much control I have. Watch as I. Um, uh, show this this conversation over this dinner scene. I can like move my camera really slowly, and that's going to be like really. Um, it'll be jarring in a refreshing way for uh, a lot of audience members looking for something new from cinema. You know, like looking for something that isn't like superheroes and stuff like that. Like that's going to be something new and uh, probably interesting and, and surprising. Um, but like if. If you're used to seeing that, like on a more daily basis, it, it's just like gonna show how hollow it is, rather rather than have that like initial whiplash. Um, I, I I mean, he just really doesn't have anything. I, I thought of uh, even though I haven't seen it in forever, I thought of um, 
Eyes Wide Shut as like sort of an interesting anomaly for like all the people they're not anomaly but analog for people who like want to harp on this is like such a beautiful breakup movie and it's it's mm-hmm. just like and also one that has like an orgy scene as sort of this centerpiece um and like how that's one of the big things that that we were talking about afterwards is how just like that orgy scene that happens towards the end is like obvious it's obviously just for like Ari Aster to be doing something that's showy but has like no uh, service to, um, to 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 whatever story he's trying to tell uh, yeah. we get this scene of like um, Florence Pugh's character um realizing what's happening without seeing what's happening uh like she's sort of like anticipating it and kind of knowing what it is and then she looks through the keyhole and sees what it is we don't see what she sees but we know it's there and it's just like why did we need to see this this uh orgy scene that was just so like flamboyant uh with like all these old people standing around in a circle uh, naked and cheering him on and making sounds that people could like laugh to and be like, whoa. And uh, which like I had, I, I had, we had the weirdest, you know, not, not the weirdest, but just like this weird idiot, like sitting in front of us. That was just like, um, he was, he was really into the movie the whole time, which is whatever. But like, um, as soon as the doors open to reveal like these, uh, all these naked people in this this like young virgin sitting there ready for this boy to come in and, and to flower he just started shaking his head yes with this huge grin oh, on his God. face and just is like yeah he, he is he is Christian from Midsummer then that that's what I think yeah 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 it was oh yeah just man like, get it in it was just the weirdest thing that was just clear, clear like my reading on that was just like oh man this movie's fucked up and it it was just, you know just really. Uh, it, it's a really childish movie, I think, but um, but uh, that's the thing. Well, it's it like, is fucked up in its way, I suppose. Uh, but we see that, uh, we it's broken. Yeah, yeah, true. But we see like th- this is such a good sort of example. This little snippet scene because like we see on her face uh, how sad she is and how she sort of sees what's going on, and there's just like no reason at all to show this other than just to be flamboyant as a filmmaker, um, mm. and that's just like all over it. Yeah, and I actually, one thing I will say is I feel genuinely bad for Florence Pugh because she really does a good job with absolutely nothing at her disposal. Like you can, you can mm-hmm. see her reaching to find something because there's there's not a lot of script here for her. So just you know, in her facial expressions and and the way uh, like it just her movement and her body, like everything she does, you're like, damn, you're doing the best you can, but there is absolutely nothing around her well yeah and there's even there's even moments too where there's there's some lines back and forth between people it's like wow guys maybe we should have done a second take here like that sounded pretty rough but uh, I, I, I mean she's given absolutely nothing like it's hard you can't overstate that like we we were trying to figure out how to even describe her character leaving the movie and it's just like somebody who has stuff happen to her who had Trauma and has a boyfriend. That's it. That's the sketch. It yeah. just stops. Right. Yeah. Like, like, take a second. And this is a two and a half hour character piece, ostensibly about a breakup. I, I guess you could. 
I know one of Cuff's takeaways walking out was that it had sort of a, a cannibal Holocaust type feel about uh, culture clash encroachment. Obviously, the, those themes run through stuff like the Wicker Man, which this borrows heavily from. Uh, but like, tell me a single thing about the main character. There's nothing. You, there's nothing about any. Of that. It's like here's Just, here's what you know about the about the main characters. So, you've got shitty boyfriend who's shitty, but <laughs> we in, don't know a, why. Yeah, not not in like a super overt way. He's just like this kind of like elevated shittiness that's pretty slow and steady. But he just sucks, and we don't know why. That's just the way he is. Uh, you have Flores Pugh's character who has, has just experienced this horrible trauma, and that's all we know about her. Uh, you've got. Let's see, there's the, the two other grad students. So one of them is just like, he's like McLovin from Superbad. And he's just like, yeah, I just want to fuck Europe and pee on stuff. Drugs That's are freaking crazy. Oh, I love mushrooms. Yeah, dude, we all love mushrooms, okay? Pump the brakes. And then you've got the other grad student who is just kind of a foil to him. And he's like, I'm a little more serious, but also really shitty at grad school. And... That's about it. And then you've got Swedish guy who is outwardly nice, but at the same time, we know that he is privy to all the fucked up shit that is going on inside of this commune. So, look, that's it. There's there's nothing. Nothing else. Every, yeah. every character is completely flat. Yeah, there's no traits in the script. That's the problem. Like, literally, if this is... Uh, if this is a, a movie with one central protagonist and... I know nothing about her other than her her family died. Yeah, uh, her sister. I know more about her sister, who's not even a character in the film, than I know about her. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's just as bad as like you know all those action um, movies or like uh, quasi action like suspense thrillers or whatever, where like the wife dies in the first five minutes, and it's like backstory for the protagonist but really it's just to like get her out of the way uh this is just as bad as that to like just have this like um pretentious portentous like um overbearingly sad thing happen just to like be a function that that's like shitty that's bad storytelling um and and i saw somebody else say something about like well, obviously, the commune offered um, Danny something that she couldn't get from her boyfriend. And I was like, I offers her, obviously, Pele, the, the Swedish character, is doing that in, in under the guise of being a shitty person who brought these people here to have them have shitty things happen to them. But like, that's not this isn't a healthy environment. Like this is a terrible no. commune. Yeah. Is that your, is that your point? I mean, that's not even subtext. It's text. Right, right, like, right. Oh, this is not, I have my own family, even when my family died. And right. it's like, thanks. <laughs> I fucking get it. You haven't cracked the code, Mr. Internet. I mean, I fucking understand that that's a line <laughs> in the film. It doesn't explore anything. And this is the fundamental problem that you can have this elaborate grief backstory if it's used for something this film might as well 
lop that whole section off. It has nothing to do with the rest of the, th the thing. Mm -hmm. And it, I well, mean, it's oh, just God. like the dying of the parents thing, like, or the, not the dying of the parents, but the dying of the old people and trying to talk about how life is this circle that we should like um, consider to be natural process. It's like, I know it's 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 funny. This is sort of going to be like an obscure reference point, but it's because it's contemporaneous with this film. I'm going to use it. But um, this uh, this songwriter that I really like, Bill Callahan, I'm sure Cuff is probably familiar. Um, yeah, he just put out a new album and he has this uh, song called Circles. And it's about like his his mom dying and like watching her die and dealing with that stuff. And it's just like this beautiful, like, tr like grappling with that natural process and it was it's really interesting to be listening to that and seeing this at the same time and just like seeing how like uh what's the word like sort of pure of heart one of them is and the other one is just like machinations like it, to to it, it's not it's not dealing with it in an emotionally honest way. It's just like trying to use people, these like characters as devices. And it just doesn't feel, I don't know. It doesn't feel real at all. It just is like, yeah, we know that these people are dying in this thing to try and show her. And so she's dealing with grief, but it's just like so ham fisted and it's not beautiful at all. And then he tries to do this, like, you know, this, uh, gore thing with smashing their faces in and it's like it looks good whatever but like what does it mean mm -hmm. yeah and yeah, there's I think one of the worst scenes in the movie is uh, right after the big reveal that and also just as a side note Pele the, the guy that they're friends with in America who takes him to this, this Swedish festival it's bizarre to me that he has this scene where he's comforting Danny and like, oh yeah, and, and trying to explain everything because prior to that, he specifically has a moment with everyone where he's like, this is what we're doing tomorrow. This is what you're going, you know, and and then one of the other characters is like, oh, I think I know what that is. He's just like, well, don't spoil it. It's better if we don't tell you. So he, he completely had this opportunity to yeah, be like, yeah. hey, you're going to see something really fucked up tomorrow. Just so you know, you probably you might not be ready for that, but this is, and he, he could have braced them all for it or given them the option not to watch it, and instead they're subjected to it. I think that's and then exactly some of them what freak out. Yeah, Myra and, but, said. Yeah, exactly. And there's just like, oh, yeah, like fucking, uh, oh yeah, sorry, I'm gonna comfort you. No, fuck you, you're an asshole, and it's transparent. And then you have those those two other characters that are introduced that aren't part of the friend group; they're just two other outsiders. And you could tell the moment they hit the screen, they're just cannon fodder. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then yeah. their reaction is even stupider. They're just like, oh, no, yeah. don't do it. And then they're like, this is so fucked up. And they're like yelling at everyone. It's like, yeah, y y these people have been doing this for how long, you think? And you, you think you're just going to scream this at them? They'll be like, oh, man, that was fucked up. You're right. No one's ever said that to us before. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, pack I, it in, guys. Festival's over. I Whoa. <laughs> I found we better that, um, this whole midsummer thing. I found that part just excruciatingly, just like like you said, transparent. Like where that English uh, boy was just like, yeah, yeah. It's just like this isn't this this isn't real. This isn't this storytelling is just so fake. 
it's just yeah I, I, you know what you're getting into this guy's yeah. an adult like like you're in somewhere foreign any adult tries to embrace this or they leave like they don't like uh, it's just so like it's, I said uh, it just feels honestly, like moving pawns it, around yeah, I mean, and I think Ari Aster thinks that he's being profound and transgressive and, and vulgar with, with these things that he's doing to really press our buttons. But honestly, it's so, yeah, it's so transparently fucking stupid. And all this is, you know, if, if you want to say 10, 15 years ago, Eli Roth gentrified like 70s Italian exploitation films, then Ari Aster has further gentrified Eli Roth. That's what this is. That's all it is. This is like when, you know, uh, the the rent raises in your neighborhood and the taqueria gets pushed out and all of a sudden there's a place where you got to spend five bucks for one taco and you're like, this is bullshit. And then that place gets pushed out and now they're, you know, extra artisanal tacos and they cost 10 bucks a pop. That's all Ari Where Aster is. Ari Aster's films are $10 tacos and fuck that. And then uh, John Krasinski is like the Papa Murphy's. Yeah, and he's like, "This is this is elevated fast food." <laughs> I I just I don't even like. You can make elevated horror films. You can make a two and a half hour character study. Have something to fucking say if you're talking. Oh, he developed this for three years. Jesus Christ, put pen to paper or something. Because this this is such an empty vessel and yeah. all of its influence. I had my qualms with Hereditary, but I thought it. It did have some interesting ideas. A lot of them borrowed. But this is borrowing imagery, and it has zero ideas. Nothing is here. It's just boring and terrible. Like, I I, I would not recommend anyone see this movie. No. What is the... Um, oh, yeah. Okay, so where would you guys place... Because I, I, I saw somebody sort of, like, defending or trying to, like... Um, question the idea of elevated horror or targeting um Ari Aster unfairly about it saying like people love the conjuring um and I I don't I don't know I hadn't really thought about it much but wonder if you guys have thoughts but um uh, the conjuring is is definitely has like a prestige feel but there's something about it that feels still like a shiny object and not trying to be about grief and trauma. Maybe I'm completely wrong and I haven't seen yeah. it in, in a long I, time. I think, I mean, the, in the whole like conjuring universe, which I can't believe I have to say that, but here we are. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the original conjuring, I think, is the best of those movies. And it's pretty bog standard possession film that owes everything to The Exorcist. And. Uh, honestly, like around that time, there's probably a dozen similar movies that had either already been released or were in the process of being released. Hollywood was just on a, a possession kick, but it's competently made. It's well paced. It's it's got a simple story to tell, and it tells it. There's actual characters. And there's a family that you feel at least a slight connection to. I don't have the highest of standards for these things. I just need something to sink my teeth into. And it's just it's just a well-made movie. The end. And it For works me, because all it never gets in its own way. Whereas Midsummer is perpetually getting in its own way and refusing to find anything to be about or or anything interesting to follow. Like when the camera flips upside down. <laughs> oh god, fucking kill me. <laughs> yeah, for me like calling the conjuring elevated horror is 
is kind of a misnomer because it's not a movie that's especially interested in any sort of theme. Right. It's very plot driven. It's a very traditional horror. It, it harkens back to stuff like the changeling or stuff like that. It, it's very much. It's not, not actually a horror movie movie. It's an elevated horror in that it, I guess it's an interesting transition in, in the way that something like the original child's play, it has an old Hollywood production quality to it. Yeah. It is a polished movie that doesn't look like trash. It doesn't look like something they threw on the screen for $10, but it also doesn't have lofty ambitions. It's a, right. it's a strictly genre film that they treated with respect. And you don't see that that much these days, but it, it's a different animal to me entirely than this like artist bullshit, which can be great. If you are an artist with something to say. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And I don't, I and he legitimately had nothing to say because I saw an interview with him and they're like, oh, where did you get this idea? And I guess a studio approached him like three years ago and I don't know if this was A24 or whatever, but they were <gasps> like, hey, you should make like a European cult movie. And he was like, okay. And then he just wrote Midsummer. So yeah, where I, did you get what idea? You didn't have a fucking idea. You just like saw the Wicker Man and decided to strip it of anything that meant anything. And, yeah, uh, and then all you were left with was like, just an outline that you never fleshed out. Yeah, and I don't think you have to like have like lived through like whatever type of garbage to make something good. But like, it it, it seems especially apparent with Ari Aster that he just like if something has happened in his life he hasn't properly conveyed it on screen um because or, or if like nothing has happened to him in life like he needs to pair up with some collaborators that have like a better grasp on stuff if he wants to keep trying to tackle like these big themes because it just rings so hollow like I, i'm just not getting any articulations of any sort of like grief or you know it, it, this isn't a personal shopper or something where there's like you know feelings or like i was talking about eyes wide shut there's things that are expressed and it's just like if this is what you want to do find somebody who knows how to do them uh, and stop trying to be like this lofty artist because uh, it's it's not coming through yeah i had some vague notion that this this could go either way because I, again, I don't hate Hereditary. I think it's it's okay. It's flawed, but it has moments where I could I could see something out of this guy. But this, I'm I I'm done. I don't think I will ever watch another of this guy's movies because he has a very limited bag of tricks. Again, I you want to make uh, this tragedy occur in the beginning of the movie, very similar to something that happens in Hereditary, uh, but. What is the fucking point of seeing all this graphic nonsense? There is no reason to code your main character's tragedy behind this, like, elaborate exhaust system, like, feeding <laughs> throughout the house that you're following around and all these corpses laying everywhere. You could just say, oh, her parents died recently. Yeah. Move the fuck forward. And, and again, with Hereditary, the same shit with, like, this, like, 10-minute old people naked dancing about it's like i get it that you find this to be a compelling image you used it i don't need to see it again it's not adding anything to your narrative fuck the fuck off man 
Yeah, this is the kid in in your film class who everybody uh, thinks is like good at Final Cut and is probably rich, but has like just zero things to say and doesn't actually like just wants to show off. That's what it is. To, uh, yeah, and I don't I don't like anything about this film. I don't like the way it looks. I don't like the way it sounds. Everything is very washed out. Uh, one thing that struck me is is that it pretends to use diegetic sound like everything is taking place in the scene with all with a lot of folk music and traditional pagan stuff uh and in a lot of movies where you see that sort of stuff it's very clearly recorded live and here it's very clearly not it's all it's all piped in studio stuff there's no on-site feel to any of the audio really and that is it detracts for me. I mean, some people probably think it lends to the surrealism, but I just got tired of looking at washed out pictures of bright sunlight and uh, hearing all this piped in music. It, it, at some point, it's just not, it's not for me. That's for sure. As somebody who really didn't like Hereditary, uh, I was excited. Like I, I was excited when people were like, "No, this is better." And I was like, "Oh, cool. Maybe this is." more my thing and people were like oh and it's funny like a lot of people were like it's funny you're gonna it's legitimately got some good laughs and i just the only thing i chuckled at was uh the reference to the international spy who shagged me um the rest of it was just like the worst comic relief garbage okay i i didn't get that at all because in a lot of the early reviews that i was reading people were like Oh my god, it's so scary. And then I'm watching, I'm like, it's it's really not. And they're like, it's it's over two hours, but you'll never know. It just it's just so brisk. And you're like, no, it goes on forever. And then uh, everyone also is just like, and it's so darkly comedic. And all I could think of is like, I didn't laugh once. There was a few times where I'm like, okay, I think that was a joke, but it wasn't that fucking funny. There's nothing funny in this movie. There's nothing in this movie, really. There's no emotions evoked at all, but. It's certainly not funny. So to see so many people be like, oh, it's this pitch black comedy. What? What is so fucking... Like, the only time that I maybe even cracked a smile is after McLovin peed on the ancestor tree and they were sitting down for lunch and, like, one of the Swedish cult members was, like, staring at him and he was just like, I think that dude wants to kill me. I was just like, ha ah, that's that's the best I got. Is there any other funny stuff in this movie that I missed? Mm, some people saw. Some people said like the pubic hair thing was funny, but it's eating pubes. This is this is good. This is was that was that a joke? I thought it was just like an obvious telegraph to what was happening. Yeah, it was a huge <laughs> telegraph. They literally like showed a painting. Like this is how you make someone fall in love in this village, and then it happened, and it was obvious. And you're just like, ew, a pube. Yeah, people that's not laughing. funny. That's just obvious. Yeah, the drink had a, a pink tone to it. It's like, well, yeah, I get, I get what's happening here. But uh, the old menstrual blood in the lemonade or something, I don't know. It's gross. Check off I don't want to say blood. that sentence ever again. But uh, fortunately, I won't be watching any further Ari Aster films <laughs> that might contain such things. Uh, how long? Okay, so we need to move on. But like, how long do you think his next movie is going to be? Uh, four hours. And he's going to have to cut it down to three. And then a bunch of idiots on the internet are going to start a hashtag that says release the Aster Cut. And they're never <laughs> going to get it. 
I mean, a movie like this can't possibly make money, right? No. Why no. is he going to be allowed to make a, a three-hour movie next year? Because he's an artist. Yeah, yeah he's, he's the guy. Plenty A24 is hanging their hat at him. Uh, I think he's gonna he's gonna want to remake um, Von Trier's The Kingdom. Oh, <laughs> I'd, I, yeah, that that would be sad. That's a good one. Just go watch The Kingdom. The Kingdom's great. It is great. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to see a guy like this get his hands on the material. Yeah, I mean, you ever want to see Udo Kier as like a an Udo Kier head attached to a puppet spider? Because that's something you can see in The Kingdom. Yeah, talk about something that actually is a dark comedy. There you go. <laughs> Yep, exactly. So, all right. Well, we got to move on. The other thing that we did when we went to the movies uh, this week is we we saw the Child's Play remake. And in addition to that, we decided to watch all the Child's Play movies, which, boy, that took a long time. Uh, There's a lot of them. I didn't know there was like seven plus the remake. That's a (laughs) lot of movies. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, uh, I guess we should – we might as well just start with the remake because – Oh, my God, <laughs> I was I, I was dying. Like I, at this point, I was like, I don't know if I can watch movies anymore because between Midsummer <laughs> and this, uh, this is so. This is Child's Play, but I- instead of drawing from the horror elements present in the first movie and to a lesser extent in the second movie and uh, to a greater degree in the most recent Chucky movies. Uh, they they kind of go straight like gory action comedy with this one, but oh oh boy, it's it's just about it's like what if your Amazon Alexa had codependency issues? That's the whole story, right? And I guess the lesson we're supposed to take away from it is watch out technology. <laughs> <laughs> is there is there anything I'm missing here? There's such a, uh, I'll let Myros kind of rant on this, but um, uh, there's such a good premise with this movie. Like, this is, this could so easily, just as easily gone into like the really great use of the remake, um, where like the original sets up this sort of a loose premise that it, I don't think it's very concerned with it about like, consumerism uh you know tearing us apart um and it sort of elaborates on it uh in the beginning with this uh this factory in vietnam i think Mm -hmm. um i can't remember it might have been korea i really don't remember i Um, believe it is vietnam yeah you got it um and this like disgruntled worker making all of this bad stuff happen through the, mm-hmm. through his control of this thing and so it sets up like this good thing about like you know outsourcing and um and the terrible working conditions and just like how much we're influenced by stuff that nobody really sees no not by stuff that american consumers don't see um mm-hmm. and then you also have like this this uh, electronic doll. So, like, there's all these possible themes that you could draw out about, you know, modern technology and, and new digital stuff. Um, and it just just completely wipes away anything. Uh, it's very disappointing. It turns oh, yeah. into, it like, this moral... completely wastes the premise. Totally wasted. He turns into this, like, moral, uh, striking, like, malevolent figure. Uh, it sucks. Yeah, I feel like that opening scene was kind of interesting, and then the first second, like Aubrey Plaza and Son, 
uh, started speaking, I was like, nope, this is going to be bad. And it was, yeah. I, I don't know why Brian Tyree Henry is in this movie. Yeah. He, he's good, but the rest of the movie doesn't deserve him and also doesn't utilize him. No. Uh, I, I think what it reminded me most of on further thought was uh, The Predator from last year. Like, it, it's a script that really thinks it's laugh out loud funny and, and clever at every turn and is, in fact, like the most dunder-headed and lazy thing you could possibly oh, sit through. I, I'm sorry, Myros, but, you know, there's a character in this movie that names his Chucky doll Chode. So Chode. That's, that's funny. Because <laughs> yes. that's, that's, a, that's a penis that's wider than it is long, so that's funny. The- the character stump, who doesn't stump penis. Character who doesn't have a locks locks uh, code on his on his uh, phone. This takes exactly. place in the future, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, I guess it is a futuristic movie, and it, it, I have. I mean, God. Again, I like the setup, and I think there's enough here where you could have made a good movie, but I have real issues with the actual Chucky doll. So. In the original, like the, the the original good guy doll or whatever, it's a little creepy because I think dolls are naturally just kind of creepy, but it looks like a children's toy. It legitimately looks like something you could go to the store and if you saw a good guy doll, like that is a thing that could exist. Right, Whereas, it's like a real product, right? Like my buddy, that was a thing. That, yeah, my buddy thing. was a thing. Teddy Ruxpin is a thing. Both are creepy, but they exist and they but they look like children's toys. This doesn't look like a, a toy at all. It automatically, he just looks terrifying. Like, that's the idea. You're like, oh, God, what the fuck? And, and not, not like in a, like a genuinely like, oh, I'm creeped out, but just like you would never bring this thing into your home. And then when he turns evil, the only sign that we get that he's turning evil is his eyes go from blue to red. It's like, that's your big <laughs> scary moment. So that's a little bit weird. And then conceptually, the Chucky doll in this is kind of weird because... It is an Amazon Alexa, but it's in addition to being a smart home hub, it's also a children's toy. So it's like, who is this for? Is it is it for kids or is it for the whole family or like what is this thing exactly? Uh, yeah, and, do you and, want your children to be able to control your smart home? Uh, absolutely <laughs> not. The little fucker just be turning the lights on and off constantly. Now. The thing that really stuck out to me is, and it finally clicked after I left. I was like, God, that sucked ass. What does it remind me of? Little uh, little movie from 1986 you might have heard of, Adam Myros. And if you're listening out there and you're really into horror, maybe you've heard of this one. And if you're not, uh, don't bother hunting it down. It's uh, Wes Craven's Deadly Friend. Oh, yeah. Well, that's way better than this. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That movie sucks huge ass, and it's still a hundred times better than this. At least so, it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Unintentionally, for the most part, but... Uh, right, yeah. yeah. There's no, like, fucking zingers about chodes and Tupac and what that is. No, old ladies getting blown up by a robot, but the general, the, the general premise... The basketball decapitation, one of the greatest scenes of all time. That is one of the great ones, yeah. If you're listening right now, don't... Don't watch Deadly Friend, but go on YouTube where I am sure the basketball decapitation scene exists. That is worth your time 100%. But that's, I mean, that's all this really is. And it's, it's interesting to me because I think they, they thought, well, how do we make this contemporary? And the first thing they did was they got rid of the hokey, supernatural silliness 
that is a, a big part of the Child's Play series, and they replaced it with technology. And, man, as, as hokey as the supernatural bullshit is, I gotta say, most of the original Child's Play movies, or I guess they're parallel series now, not that bad. There's really, there's, there's nothing that is this terrible, and the vast majority of the films are way more interesting. I, I yeah, I think I only have um, one of them, be- like as a sub sub twenty nineteen. Well, I think that was four. Wait, no, you had uh, six, six, maybe six. six. Yeah. Um. So that's curse, I believe. Um, and that's more just because it's so blandly generic and like DTV uh, aesthetics at that point and also when you're going through seven of these plus plus the reboot which does matter I guess in this instance mm-hmm. um, uh, especially when you're when you watch them all in like three or four days um, you get a whiplash every time it changes because I mean this series changes significantly three times I think like yeah. uh I mean, you could you could say the third one is also a change, um, but it, it keeps some consistencies, but others not. But um, mm-hmm. anyway, so so there is like three or four times where there's like just total whiplash on what this movie's doing, and I'm sure that or this franchise, and I'm sure when you're going to see those as they come out, you, it's much different than just like binge watching them because you've had years sometimes. But uh, watching them all, it's just like, what is this? This is has no resemblance to to oh. what. I was oh, just yeah. watching. I mean, there, there's a there's a rough transition from Child's Play three to Bride of Chucky, and there is just complete fucking whiplash between Seed of Chucky and Curse of Chucky. Oh my god! But I, I want to say I just got to get this out here. I have figured out the Child's Play series, and all you have to do is have a working knowledge of the last thirty years of professional wrestling, because professional wrestling has paralleled. The Child's Play series. So, in the beginning, the best the best Child's Play movies uh, are one and two. There's a little bit of comedy. Mostly plays it straight. It's well done. It's good stuff. This is the rock and wrestling era of WWE. This is Hulk Hogan. This is the Ultimate Warrior. This is Andre the Giant. This is the good shit. This is the shit you remember, okay? Then you get to Child's Play 3. This is when we're in the early 90s. Vince McMahon's going through the steroids trial. They're relying too heavily on characters. Everyone's a caricature. It's like, oh, this is the the clown wrestler. This is the garbage man wrestler. This is the hockey player wrestler. Things just get a little too silly. Okay, so there's a, there's a bit of a drop off, and then then tonal shift. We get to curse and seed. Now this is the attitude era of you WWE. Mean, uh, you mean bride and seed? Or bride and seed. Bride and seed. Yes. My mistake. Bride and Seed. So this is the Attitude Era. This is your Stone Cold Steve Austin. This is Chugging Beer. This is Pop Culture Zingers. This is also, in the case of Seed, which this doesn't really have anything to do with wrestling, but it needs to be said, weirdly interesting in-depth storyline about, like, identity and, and like, gender <laughs> expression, <laughs> which yeah. is fucking wild, okay? And these are the ones that are balls to the walls, and yeah, they have some of the dumbest moments, of any of the Child's Play movies, like, you know, when Chucky is driving down the street in a Humvee and sees Britney Spears in a convertible and blows her up. But at the same time, it's endearing, it's weirdly smart sometimes, and it is whole cloth different 
from yeah. everything else anyone else in horror was doing at the time. And it was uh, edgy, for lack of a better term. And then you've got the modern era, okay? This is your Curse of Chucky and your Cult of Chucky. This is your contemporary WWE. So there's, there's, little, there's little elements of the past, whether it's some of the, the joking of 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 you know child's play three there's not jennifer a lot of tilly the, stuff there's the little bit of jennifer tilly stuff there's you know no edginess really no. and they also get a ton of mileage out of callbacks and just nostalgia that's what you do mm -hmm. that's why the you know the the wwe still trotting out the undertaker who's like straight up 60 years old and having him wrestle matches that's who jennifer tilly is at this point she's the fucking undertaker okay and that's where we're at. So wrestling and child's play, one and the same. What I want to know is what happened to Glenn and Glenda? Uh, <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a weird uh, era. Uh, God, uh, but I, I will say, um, well, first of all, I was going to say the same thing as what you just said, Steve, but you beat me to it. Uh, <laughs> About wrestling? Yeah. Oh, yeah, those that makes barrels. sense. I know you're a big wrestling fan, Sean. Um, the, the, the most interesting area, yes, one and two are the best and one is just like straightforward. The cool thing, first of all, about all these is that they're all like 85 to 95 minutes, which mm -hmm. is really, really nice and, and friendly. Um, but yeah, one and two are the best. Like one is just like super straightforward and like fun and interesting and just sort of new and just straightforward it it's it's nothing as challenging as like uh um candy man or anything or thematically uh strong but um it just has this nice brevity to it and some funny uh fight stuff not fight scenes but slashing scenes and the second one is like kind of it's definitely less interesting but it has just this great set piece at the end um that that's great in the warehouse but um the stuff with Jennifer Tilly, four and five, is uh, I think we were talking back and forth about how much these are marked by uh, as post scream movies. Like you could feel that was the interesting thing about going through this is like you could just see how strongly uh, an influence scream was on horror movies at that time. Like oh, just yeah. that's what you needed to do is have like this sardonic humor and be super meta about movies and the movie that you're in and the franchise and all that stuff. And it's like, honestly, there are worse things. There are worst phases in horror movies, um, such as, you know, the one we just talked about, but, um, it, and it works here sometimes. Um, so it, it at least spices things up as far as the whiplash goes. That's the stuff that I found the least offensive. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i'm I, i'm interested in this series i had never really paid it any mind but it's i was gonna ask if either of you had seen any of them beforehand i had i have seen one and two and parts of a bride i don't think i'd seen beyond that early but yeah. i i've seen one through four but i'd never seen anything beyond that i don't think i gave it its due i think oddly enough this might be the best slasher series. Like, <laughs> I, I was thinking about that, and now I, I love Elm Street, but right, but in the world of Elm Street, like yeah. I, I think Nightmare on Elm Street Four and Nightmare on Elm Street Five are both unwatchable for me. Totally right, unwatchable. very boring and very, very. It's a series that 
I guess it reinvented itself a couple times, but both of those times are very late in the game. And the yeah. first few, uh, the middle pack of those movies are very much like, and I just watch this. Like, if you showed me a few scenes from four and five, I couldn't tell you which was which. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're basically the same movie. What's interesting about um, the last two, uh, Curse and Cult, is they do this weird thing, especially Cult, where they start borrowing from, like, Brian De Palma, like, his, like, split-screen stuff, and um, I can't remember some other... Something else that he does. Uh, I can't remember, but... Um, but it's just there's something about it that's just not charming to me whatsoever but it just starts to like play around and it's like this isn't what you are like don't don't try and do this thing all of a sudden like we're seeing the same event happen from two perspectives but it doesn't really stick to that i don't know Plus, i don't know i i think he does some really interesting stuff like four and five especially because four is basically i mean it's a horror slasher movie i guess but it's really it's a road movie it has more in common with like natural born killers than it does with the original (laughs) child's play and five is just a trip man the opening of five are you kidding me like like, what is that even it's like first or something yeah it's a it's a hitchcock montage is what it is because it's got like the staircase scene from psycho and the shower scene yeah it's very much but it has we're doing but it has the music. Life. It has the music that like makes me feel like it's also doing like a, a giallo thing. I uh, you see that kind of th- in uh, Curse too. A lot of that theme kind of dances around some goblin territory. Uh, but yeah, I again this this whole thing is really fascinating to me because the first two movies, in a way, it really reflects Hollywood, and and that's why I probably find it more interesting than. Even something I do really like, like Nightmare on Elm Street, is that this has so many like stops and starts. It's not like Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street where they were pumping them out every year. It's uh, A lot of these movies have significant gaps between, so you really can almost see the evolution of the industry and the way it treats horror in these films. Because 1 and 2 are very well-made films, very stately productions. Uh, the animatronics are great especially in the first one just fantastic and yeah the they're real movies they're this is an era where studios treated horror like anything else where they said you know we're going to make this movie and it will have an audience and it wasn't just like a cash grab thing they they're both very well made films uh three you get into that sort of uh, it is a it's the only one in the series that has such a short gap. But I think it's a one year turnaround from two and is very much in the opposite direction where they are chasing that slasher money. And then you get the big gap into that post scream era with Bride. And that is such a quintessentially 90s horror film. And but it, it still evolves. There's like another five year gap after that between Bride and Seed, which is ostensibly just a a very campy very queer cinema midnight movie and well i kind of love it i think it's kind of (laughs) fantastic but yeah it's just so interesting to see the evolution and even then you get another gap and you're into the modern way that studios treat horror movies where they're like uh here's a here's a million dollars 
uh, we'll flip this on VOD and make double our money and be done with it. And obviously we have the same voice throughout the series, but it's so (laughs) bizarre. Yeah, yeah, it's the same writer throughout the entire series until this remake. Oh, I thought you meant Brad Dourif. Oh, well, that works too. Uh, But yeah, you have such a drastic shift and evolution that really mirrors the way that this genre has been treated in the industry over the last three decades. And it's, it's fascinating to sit through and watch like this to me. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. Uh, question for you, Myros. Yes. Uh, are, are curse and cult are those the, uh, the, the director's version of, of boyhood? <laughs> uh, I gotta I say, so, my my biggest hang up so with, with just because the other movies like even 3 which is shitty it's got some like funny just set piece stuff and obviously uh, 4 and 5 are just nonstop gonzo madness with with curse and cult 6 and 7 there's some really flat acting in there and yeah. it's just like who is this woman actress that's like oh <laughs> it's Brad Dreef's fucking daughter yeah so that that makes sense and then andy comes back and i'm thinking uh, yeah. god this guy cannot act at all and in my head i'm thinking <laughs> it, this cannot be the same kid from the original that he just brought back for the sake of I, I guess consistency in his mind and lo and behold it's it's same, the kid from the original there. too yeah and um, the end of uh cult also features uh tease for a third movie, which probably is not going to happen, but I would guess, considering Mancini seems very invested in his bizarre, twisted, uh, tonally shifting continuity, that he's probably going to bring back the actress from the second film in the television series because she is uh, teased in the stinger for uh, Cult, where Kyle returns to uh, torture Chucky's severed head. Yeah. I, I hope that's the case because, uh, you know, I mean, that, I hope there's a tonal shift too. Because for me personally, I, I'm getting I'm getting really bored of the current WWE product, and I'd like to I'd like a shift. So if Mancini could help get that going, that'd be really helpful. Well, so how how would you guys quickly uh, do your ranking of the series? All eight. Ooh. Steve, go. Okay, so. Um, the worst for me is uh, probably the remake. Uh, second worst is Cursed. And then three. And then five. Well, and that's that's like the line of like just things I don't really like bad. very much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think Colt is okay. I think. Uh, fuck. Probably Bride, and then Seed, and then Two, and then One. That seems yep. like a mine's, good power ranking. Mine's the same, except uh, uh, the new one and Curse are flipped. But which is, basically... I mean, honestly, yeah, it's six in one hand, half dozen the other. It doesn't. <laughs> right. Yeah, mine's pretty similar too. I think I would have. Uh, the second film is my number one. I think Child's Play 2 is kind of the, the peak fun for me. Like uh, Brad Dourif is like 
really finds the role in that movie. He is killing yeah. it, and uh, it's just so fun. It's Dude, a fun it's, it's got that. It's got the scene where he kills the teacher with the yardstick, which is just amazing. Yeah, and I, the whole finale in the toy factory is just it's top, great. Top oh yeah, that's great. I, I think the the one thing that the first one has on it for me though, uh, watching it was that to see the voice come out for the first time, like to see it evolve from this toy into mm-hmm. all of a sudden you slot that type of stuff. Yeah, sure. yeah. I think the voice coming out for the first time, and I think the best scene of the entire series is in the first movie where the mom comes home and she discovers that the batteries aren't in Chucky and there's this great shot where like she's sort of confused and looking at the back of the batteries on the floor and then off in the distance uh, just sort of out of focus you see Chucky just sitting on the couch so you're just like oh fuck is he gonna come alive and kill her now like what's gonna happen and I just think that that whole sequence is fantastic Uh, yeah I I think that I am with you guys in that I would say that the remake Three and uh, Curse are really not worth revisiting ever. It's they're all pretty boring and bad films. Well, I guess the remake's not so much boring as it's just infuriating and obnoxious. Uh, but yeah, Curse and Three are very flat entries. Uh, beyond that, I like all of these, and I think that I would go so far as to say that uh, the first two and Seed are. are quite good horror movies they're they're pretty solid you know seven eight for me you know they're, they're mm-hmm. good movies yeah definitely and i mean you talk about consistency in slashers like you, you compare this to say god all all the halloween movies or all the friday the 13th movies and it's like you know child's play has been, has been around for almost as long i mean maybe longer if you consider how dormant these these other franchises have been in recent years Chucky might have the edge. <laughs> if if somebody made the argument that it was the best horror slasher like Born of the Eighties franchise, you you can make that argument. Again, I'm probably going to give the edge to Elm Street just because the original is so good, and you know, uh, two and six have a special place in my heart, and three is solid. But damn, like it, I was genuinely shocked at how good the Child's Play films are. Yeah, but think of how much better Child Play reinvented itself. Like, uh, the new Nightmare is, is, despite the fact that it is, I suppose, the proto-scream, it's much worse than Bride and Seed. It does not play that game nearly as fun. Yeah. No. Although, Freddy's Dead is is just, like, some next-level awesome shit, I gotta say. That's... That's that's the closest you're gonna get to Bride and Seed is, is Freddy's Dead, which is... Oddly enough, even though it doesn't have any meta elements, it, it is... Uh, in tone and the fact that it is just like so very of its time but yeah throwing mm-hmm. in like Roseanne and Tom Arnold feels very akin to what they were doing in, in Seed. Yeah yeah for sure whereas uh, God if you look at it, uh, Halloween and especially God Friday the 13th you talk about a series that just sucks ass if we ever have to go through all those that's that's gonna be my, my Vietnam right there that's gonna be a, a real a real war of attrition yeah, there's one good movie in that series, I think. That's it. And <laughs> yep. it's not the first one. <laughs> <laughs> Halloween 3? That's the hottest hot take of all time. No, not yeah. Halloween. Uh, Friday the 13th. <laughs> oh, Friday the 13th. No, it's... um 4. It's yeah. 4. Yeah, 4 yeah. is the only good Friday the 13th movie. I will I will go to my fucking grave. Unless you count Freddy vs. Jason, which is really more of a... Of a uh, 
Nightmare on Elm Street movie, if you ask me. So, uh, yeah, I, at least Halloween's got <laughs> yeah one and three. <laughs> anyway, don't see the remake. It doesn't make any sense. Like, it doesn't follow its own internal logic at all. It's just like a sloppy terribly written movie where every character is just cannon fodder and yeah. it just it uses all the laziest slasher tropes you can imagine and mm -hmm. it it just thinks it's telling a laugh a minute jokes and it, like none of them hit none of them at all yeah if you want to see a shitty doll movie there's already one that came out at the exact same time <laughs> uh, yeah go see toy story 4 uh or you know, i guess i guess the new annabelle 2 probably but definitely go see toy story 4 that that probably sucks Everything's terrible right now. There's no reason to go to the movies. Just stay home. Don't do anything. But uh, <laughs> let's let's try to give some good suggestions. We got to end on this positive note here. So, Sean. Hey. Um, oh, I thought you were going to ask what's playing at the Cineplex. Um, no, I was, I was going to ask you what you're putting over this week, buddy. You know, um, I'm going to put over. Uh, it's funny that you asked me. Um because yeah, this never I, happens. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna put over. Um, oh, you know what? I, this will actually be something that that'll be worth uh, uh, your time and perhaps listeners. Um, a movie just came out uh, on Blu-ray by Umberto Lenzi called uh, The Tough Ones or Rome Armed to the Teeth. Um, that's a, uh, I believe the genre is called a Policio Teshi, um, but it, it's Italian uh, police film from the 70s and uh, really, really great uh, Blu-ray set from Grindhouse came out. That's a um, three disc set, uh, one of which is the really cool score which is just like this funky version of the dirty harry score and this i mean the whole movie is sort of like a dirty harry take um but just like grimy italian uh genre stuff but um that's really cool and just the set is just like I extremely like just exhaustive with extras so that's cool the tough ones yeah they uh they always do a great job they're I mean, they their release schedule is pretty inconsistent they only usually do one or two things a year but everything they put out is fantastic so another great great company to support uh grindhouse they did the blu-ray release of oh god what was it um uh, can't believe i'm blanking uh fulci fuck what well, that narrows it down he's only directed 700 movies oh uh, the beyond the beyond the beyond uh, oh that's yeah it. yeah yeah and that's that's an amazing set. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous restoration, a full disc of extras, and like a soundtrack CD. And it is just, it is exhaustive. It's so great. So yeah, support them. Go buy that shit. Myros, what are you putting over? Uh, I'm putting over something that one would not expect me to put over. Ah, uh, I kind of got curious about this DC streaming service because they're bungling it so horribly. <laughs> Like, they launched this uh, Swamp Thing show and canceled it, like, the second, the first episode aired, uh, even though it had already been filmed and everything. Um, so I I started getting curious about this, and I saw they had made a TV series of Doom Patrol, which is an obscure uh, proto-X-Men for DC that turned into, like, a, a really an interesting sandbox for a lot of... Uh, 
comic book writers over the years, but uh, mm-hmm. Grant Morrison uh, particularly. But um, yeah, this show, it's good. I, I had no expectations for it. I was just kind of morbidly curious, and it's... It, like it stars Brendan Fraser as like the voice of <laughs> what a robot man. Ah, uh, glad he's getting work. And he's he's really great. And the show is a lot of fun. It doesn't entirely stick the landing. You'd almost be better to not watch the last episode. It's really <laughs> bad and dumb. But prior to that, man, I had a lot of fun with this thing. It's it's good. It's a ton better than what you see on on uh, Netflix if you're looking for any What's sort of comic book stuff. It's called Doom Patrol. And where, uh, where do we watch this? Where do we watch it? it? Well, DC has their own streaming service for now. God but damn it. Why? Yes. Well, fortunately for you, they're probably not going to for very long because uh, I think it's AT&T or Time Warner or some other monolith is that owns DC is starting their own uh, streaming service that will subsume Warner. this one because it's God good. help us all in two years. God help <sighs> us all. Uh but anyway, you, you you should probably you could find it on uh, some other sites too, right? Yeah, uh, that would be <laughs> my recommendation. Uh, unless you want access to the full backlog of DC Comics, then you could subscribe to this uh, wonderful service. You know, the but, hard pass on that. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I I I would highly recommend it. it uh, the closest analog is that shitty fucking Umbrella Academy show that Netflix put out, but. It's like night and day from that. They're they're going for very similar things, but one of them is good, and the other one is insufferable. <laughs> All right. Well, this week I am going to put over a brand-new Blu-ray release from Severin Films, and it's called V. And no, it's not the TV show that my dad watched with me where there's, like, lizard people from space. It oh, this is, is about the Vendetta, right? Yeah, no, this, this is the remake of, of the Lizard show that his dad watched. Yeah, exactly. No, that's that's what all this is. Now, it's actually it's a a Russian folk horror movie from the early 1970s. Hey, you want to watch some good folk horror and you've already seen The Wicker Man? Why not try V? Uh, and it's it's spelled V I Y, by the way, in case you're looking for it. But I guess this is a movie that has never really yourself. gotten a great home video release and they did a a gorgeous restoration it is not the best movie in the world believe it or not but it's it's got this this atmosphere to it that is just absolutely engrossing and incredible it's genuinely funny the closest thing i can think of it if if you're thinking of something to compare it to would be uh from 1977 the the japanese kind of comedy horror film or maybe Evil Dead. Obviously, it's not as good as those two, but it's it's a different beast. Starts off pretty slow, but there there is some genuinely terrifying images in this movie and also some absolutely hilarious shit. It's, it's really bizarre. It's just... It's hard to put into words. One-of-a-kind, one-of-a-kind film. Absolutely watch it. Totally worth your time. And fuck Ari Aster. I hope he never sees this movie because then he'll probably want to do like a Russian folk horror film and I'll want to kill him. So there you go. That's my recommendation. <laughs> and hey, bonus too. They throw in a bunch of silent Russian horror movies from like oh, 1920 nice. or something. So yeah, loaded with bonus features. But hey, that's it for this show. So 
If you enjoyed what you listened to today, please click the link in the episode description. That'll take you to our iTunes page. Once you are there, give us a five-star review and give us a written review. I know I say this every week, and you're getting really fucking sick of it, aren't you? You're so sick of this right now. You probably just want to turn off your, your phone right now. Just throw it under your bed. That's how disgusted you are with this request. Just do it. If you haven't done it yet, it takes literally three seconds. It's a huge help for us because... You know what? We have a really shitty podcast, but there are so many podcasts that are shittier than ours out there, and they have way more reviews, which makes them more visible when you search for things on iTunes, and then they get more subscribers than us, and then I lay in the fetal position and cry at night, and that's really not what I need in my life right now, so make sure you do that. If you want to hit us up, if you've got any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, optimismvaccine at gmail.com. You could tweet at us at optimismvaccine. You could tweet at me at Steve Cuff. That's at Steve C U F F. That's also my letterbox name. If you enjoy, you know, like one line reviews of stupid movies, uh, Sean, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Glynis. Thanks, Sean. And you can't find Myros on the internet, but he'll be diligently walk, watching that inbox. So make well, sure I mean, you, you send could him. Tweet it, you could tweet at me at Myrosity if you enjoy screaming into the empty void. Yeah, I, people do enjoy doing that on Twitter. So yeah, he has a Twitter a, account at Myrosity, but he never checks it. I think he still has an egg avatar. So yeah, uh, scream into the void if you feel like it. Otherwise, make sure you email all your dick pics to optimismvaccine at gmail.com, and Myros will definitely be getting those. So. All right, I think that about wraps it up, boys. So uh, until next week, 